What do you know about that, man? <laughs> that was pretty fun. <laughs> you all want to just go right into it? Heck yeah. All right, I'm Chase Winnegar, host of the podcast, Lee McClellan, co-host. Boy, this spring is coming along. It's wonderful. Yeah, <laughs> and then today's guest is Elizabeth Johnson. Hi, fellas. What do you, tell us, tell us what you do here. So since June of 22, I have been working in a pretty unique position. It's the shared biologist between the turkey and small game programs. Oh, that's cool. So you get to work with both. Yes, I get to work with the Zach Danks, the Cody Roden, okay. and all the small game species plus turkey and well, grouse. So turkey is the, you know, the turkey season starts tomorrow statewide. Mm-hmm. So that's the main reason we wanted to have somebody from the turkey program on to ask questions about that. But before we get into turkey... Lee has to tell the story about his first saga. <laughs> well, he it was his, pouring rain on Salt River, me, but man, there's only four people there. I, did you go the day before? I might have gone, but basically, in a nutshell, Lee, you've been fishing for saga for, for years. For a bunch of people. I mean, Obi's eight year old daughter caught one. I didn't. I've lost them. I've been just cursed. So I, I didn't have high expectations. I thought, well, I'll catch some white bass. I'm sure I won't catch saga. Third cast. Boink. When I set the hook, I was like, oh, that one was 23 inches. Two casts later, set the hook, 22-incher. About five casts later, set the hook, 19-incher. And my uh, my boss, Dave, was with me, Dave Baker, and uh, he had a huge one on. It came off, and he missed another one. Well, you but then he went and did what I usually do. I caught like three white bass. He caught 20. Nice. So, but basically, you got your saw guy out of the way. You got your yeah. first one. Oh, yeah, it was great. And I, the first one was a fatty too i saw pictures from that day and i it's like i could hear the picture you know i could hear lee's laugh <laughs> I, I could tell that you you were probably you were probably laughing so hard oh it was great it was fun yeah speaking of lee's laugh this morning i was listening to zach dank's most recent <laughs> podcast i guess from two years ago yeah and i could hear lee in my headphones but then i could also hear lee in real life down the down hall, the hall. <laughs> 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 too, <so. laughs> that's funny <laughs> well um, that was great, but yesterday I went to Trammell Creek and got skunked for with the photo shoot and had two photographers or a writer and a photographer with me and we got skunked. You don't have so. to tell those stories. <laughs> so yin and yang, baby. So yeah. you're earlier no free lunch. Right before we came on, you were talking about your saw guy and you were basically saying why you caught him this time mm-hmm. and you hadn't caught him before. Well, one is I was, you know, Chase brought up a good point. When we were talking about this. They have a saw guy and walleye have a tough mouth. And you need a good hook. And I just wrote a white bass piece, but it's good for white bass too. And if you catch a hybrid, but you need to invest in a quality hook. Um, I don't want to get into brands, but they're, you know, the, the good ones, you know, Gamagatsu, uh, Trocar, all those that are really, really super sharp. Don't avoid the shiny ones that are cheap at the department store. Yeah. Uh, Essentially. They'll, they'll, they'll let you down. And that's what cost me. I've hooked several and I never got them to hand because I was... You know, when you white bass fish, you lose a lot. So you think, God, I don't want to spend $8 on a bunch of heads and lose all of them. I'd rather get the more inexpensive yeah, ones. ones. But that's when you're, if they're saw guy, then just eat it. If you have to break off a dollar head, you break off a dollar head. But I think anybody would pay a dollar to catch a 23-inch saw guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Essentially, so. they, they just have tougher jaws. Mm-hmm. And you've got to get it in them. And I've noticed before that I lose them on, on head shakes. Yes. And I think it's just because the, the hook isn't buried far enough that barb's not in there, so they're able to toss it. So with those cheaper hooks, even if they're 
feel sharp, if they have a little bit more flex to them, you might be getting flex. Yeah, flex when, and when it's you, just not sticking them. Yeah, so good hooks. That's probably a good tip for saw guy and walleye and probably sauger too. Yeah. But that caught you your first fish. So. Yeah, it was great. No, I wanted to get that out of the way because I, I yeah. knew you were probably on cloud nine. I was, you, yeah. <laughs> and I've just had a rough year. It's first fish of the year. I mean, I've, I went with Mike Harden and got skunked on Kermel, and he caught several. I was like, man, am I cursed? So, and I lost my net yesterday, too. So, <laughs> <laughs> I bought a rubber net, old net I've cooked or landed a million fish with. But, you know, a lot of trout people, kind of, if you're around them, it's good to use a rubber net because that's considered more ethical. Yeah. But Mr. Rubbernet had a cheap little magnet on it, and now it's somewhere down in Long Trammel Creek somewhere. Maybe some Anybody's other fishing, y'all find a red net with a rubber red net. Uh, <laughs> thank me. <laughs> it happens. Thank me. Yeah. <laughs> Things happen. So. Well, maybe you'll get it back. No. Probably not. No, that's gone. Bye-bye. Oh, well, I'm looking forward to doing some fishing, but also tomorrow kicks off turkey season. I, I don't know what I'm going to do as far as turkey hunting goes. Uh, I was planning on going hunting at Fort Knox this week. Mm -hmm. I was all lined up, excited to go. Their season opened on Wednesday. And I did not realize how opening day of turkey season at Fort Knox works. Do you Are you familiar with this process at all? Not really. I know they have a longer season than us. We have to wait to do our there, reports and stuff. Well, theirs comes in on early. It came in yeah. on the on the 12th. And so there's different tiers, tier one, tier two, tier three. Since I'm a civilian, I'm tier three, so I get to sign up for my spot last, right? Mm -hmm. But going into the, the three o'clock the day before is when I'm able to register. And there was probably 100-something spots left. 303, gone. I, I was sitting here looking at spots to register for, and I was like, well, I guess I'm not turkey hunting tomorrow. And so that <laughs> that's what I was looking forward to and all excited for. So now I feel like I'm going into the opening day of turkey season tomorrow, like kind of in a fog. Like, So you, all the spots were chosen already? Well, yeah. I think that when that 3 o'clock opened up, I think there were hundreds of people queue, sitting yeah. there waiting to hit the register button. So what happens if you were uh, – so you can't hunt now? Well, I mean, the way they do it is, is kind of cool. I mean, it makes sense. You could only do it on a place like Fort Knox. You couldn't do it statewide. Right. But they have it divided into areas. So each area is probably a 1,000 to 1,500 acres, and they allow, say, six hunters per area hmm. or something like that. So you get on there and you pick your area and you reserve your spot. And that way they keep hunting pressure off of certain areas and they can open and close areas so like there's areas out there right now that still haven't been hunted and so if you're smart you'll be looking for those areas and then you'll when you see one of them come available you'll register for it you know when you get the chance because it's basically fresh so the way the way they do it makes sense but you could only do it on a place like fort knox where you have complete control mm -hmm. like to a t over those specific areas so i mean and it's also a pain because i made plans to go turkey hunting and i took off work and now and instead i had to go to the falls of the ohio and get my butt whipped so. <laughs> oh, no good didn't no. do any good now i i looked the water level looked good right 21 feet on the is what the lower was so i was thinking okay 21 feet and lower that's ripping well no 21 feet height oh, okay. so so that's you know usually the rocks are starting to be exposed at 21 feet okay but i didn't check the gates so i didn't know what they were releasing where and it turns out every bit of flow was coming straight through the upper dam. And so the water was way up and pushing. Mm. And then we, I should have known. As soon as I got there and there were no cars. Yeah. That's, <laughs> yeah. It's like when you, you go to Salt River the same way. If there's yeah. no cars, that means, well, the white bass are over. Oh, and it was, and it, I should have known. But it was a nice day, and I'd already taken off work thinking I was going to turkey hunt. So I went down there and wasted about four hours catching nothing, losing baits. So. <laughs> 
Yeah, eventually, well, eventually I'll get them. We went Wednesday to Floyd's Fork and caught several decent trout. Yeah, Floyd's Fork looks fun right now. Yeah, I did fish. I'm sorry, we're going to get to turkey, Elizabeth. <laughs> I'm not. Yeah, I don't know anything y'all are talking about. There are fish oh. people and there are wildlife people, and mm-hmm. I'm a wildlife person. Well, 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 I got excited about something I just thought of real quick because I thought of Lee. I went to Pine Mountain this past weekend, right? I saw the pictures. I stayed down there and we went and hiked around all up and through like Pine and Cumberland Mountains. But I stopped by High Splint Lake and fished while I was there. Yeah, you, yeah. yeah, I told you that. Yeah, you told me. Yeah, and so I, I hadn't been That's there. That's where the state record lost yeah. bass was caught in 2019. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, it's a beautiful little lake out in the middle of the mountains. Like I love pr- Pine Mountain. That's my favorite state park. Well, it's so. And it's like a crystal clear. I mean, it's a beautiful lake to fish. But I hadn't been there five minutes, and I hear somebody behind me ask if I'd had any luck, and I turned around, and it was a guy who'd caught the state record. <laughs> it, was, Whoa. It, it was Mark, Mark Ward. Yeah. And, well, he caught the state record on Good Friday. Yeah. So when I was there there on easter sunday two yeah. days you yeah. know i was like well i have to go so went down there and and we saw some really good fish but they were in like that trance where they they're just kind of suspended and floating through the water yeah, and th- th- that means no biting at all oh i mean i was putting baits right in front of their face i've, I've in silver creek they would smallmouth would suspend way back yeah. in the day i'd throw lures across their back like drag it over the back and they'd move a little bit like <laughs> yeah go away please <laughs> <laughs> not interested <laughs> i will say that i did see a a bass down there that looked like i don't know if you ever played video games like fishing video mm-hmm. games and you'd catch the big one and it would just look ridiculous like <laughs> it, the dimensions weren't right mm-hmm. it, i mean i saw that bass swimming around in that that lake down there there's big fish there yeah. but lockjaw everybody i should have known because i'm seeing these huge bass swimming around and every single person is trout fishing <laughs> here i am looking at a 10 pound bass right off the shore and and every local there is is concerned with nothing but trout yep. and krista my girlfriend she was like i don't get why all these people are trout fishing when these bass are right here and, and we figured it out yeah. <laughs> you're about yeah. to find out yeah. because yeah. they're not biting at all yeah but no that was fun so i i thought of you because i knew you wrote an article about mark and that yeah i remember good friday record. yep and yeah. he was with his wife and his uh, young young child. Well, he had two kids with him this time, his wife and his two kids. So okay, maybe cool. it's been several years. Yeah, so. it's 2019. Yeah. So. Yeah, but he uh, that was that was interesting running into him. But now, Turkey. So, Elizabeth, what have you been working on, like, lately? What's been going on at work? So the last five weeks has been nothing but fire, fire? for us. So pres- yeah. prescribed, prescribed burning. Uh, we've been, you know, we have the East Kentucky Habitat Initiative going on, so we've been helping out burning in eastern kentucky and those guys have just been wearing it out down there i mean above and beyond excellent work so we've been doing that then once you know we kind of got caught up with their goals there we were able to burn on some private properties this year um just every day that we had a chance the window was kind of short this year because everything kind of greened up so Mm -hmm. early so places are not as you know available to burn as what we hope for so a short window means more action every single day. <laughs> yeah, I watched uh, somebody sent me a one of those u- one minute YouTube reels or Instagram, and it was a prescribed burn, and it was some guy basically walking you through why a prescribed burn was good. And I still feel like that not enough people understand that. Yeah, um, how it's so beneficial. Like turkeys specifically benefit from prescribed fire like tremendously, right? Yeah, pretty much any bird that uses the ground mm-hmm. um, benefits from prescribed fire. And that's what, you know, one of the things Cody and I have been talking about a lot this year because Zach has not had an opportunity to talk to anybody. He is up to his neck getting ready for turkey season. He's mm-hmm. super busy, as you can imagine. He's got those studies going. and I mean, he's Yeah, we've got the research going. We've got, you know, opening day is tomorrow, so he's fielding questions. He's talking to the commission yep. members and stuff. But, you know, one concept we've been talking about a lot is hunting the black. And what that means is 
you know, a place that's been burned this year. Mm -hmm. uh, there's no vegetation left standing. It's just an area that's covered in ash and soot. That's what we consider to be the black mm -hmm. following a burn. And those are great places to hunt because that gives your strutting toms a nice open spot where they can show off. And it's a good forage area for hens. So if you're pulling hens in, you're likely going to pull those toms in too. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we've been trying to tell people, hey, if you've got a spot where you know it's been burned or you're near a place that's been burned, that's probably going to be a good place to hunt because they're going to have good yep. forage opportunities. One of the points that uh, Zach or Merle Hacker, one of the two, made during our spring turkey question and answer show was that the when the burned area, the black, starts to grow back, which only takes like two weeks or so. Yeah, it takes I mean, no time. Right now, it <clears throat> pops up really fast. Like what we burned down here yeah. just, I mean, couldn't have been three weeks ago. It's already green. And Oh, yeah. Within a week, the places down by the entrance were already starting to have forbs mm -hmm. come up. But they were basically saying that that recently burned stuff, when it starts to grow back, is perfect for a hen with poults mm -hmm. because it's tall enough to provide cover but open enough for the poults to move freely through so maybe it makes sense for hens to want to be near areas like that anyway right yeah one of the one of the main objectives for prescribed fire especially in our open lands is to create bare ground mm -hmm. because those small chicks quail chicks turkey poults they need that bare ground you know you mm -hmm. imagine you're the size you know a quail chick's the size of a bumblebee when it hatches mm -hmm. a turkey poult is going to be super small they need mm -hmm. that bare ground they can't run through thatch and stuff like a full mm -hmm. bird yeah, fescue and yeah so basically, we want it just returns things to native and provides better habitat. And yeah, and those clump grasses, you know, that's excellent cover to put a nest in. You find a good clump grass, you're surrounded on all sides like a curtain. Mm -hmm. It's a great place to put a nest. That's where I'd want to put my nest. Yeah, mm -hmm. <laughs> that's and yeah, not a whole lot of raccoons and stuff around the no. the burned areas either. You know, unless you're right by a creek, but typically I think of timber for raccoons, and that probably wouldn't be your your prescribed burned areas, right? Right, we do burn in the woods some to get rid of leaf yeah, litter yeah, and that. promote, um, you know, promote your fire adapted species like oaks and hickories. Yeah. But uh, I think the most immediately beneficial places for my programs are going to be those open lands because my birds rely on that for nesting yeah. and for forage. So basically, creating habitats. What you've been doing here most recently? Most recently, trying to promote good habitat yeah immediately uh doing it ourselves rather yeah. than just trying to sell it to people and like you said it only takes a couple of weeks for that habitat to come in so mm -hmm. uh, i'd say the last two or three weeks you said you've been doing it's probably the time yeah mm -hmm. yeah it's perfect and you mentioned you know most people don't know the benefits of yeah. prescribed fire i just don't think people understand how it works like how it kind of resets things and provides like the ash layer provides mm -hmm. basically nutrients yeah it and puts nutrients <laughs> back in the ground it all shoots up super quick and it's natives coming back because of the seed bank, right? Yeah. 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 So. You're reducing competition from invasives. You're, yeah. you know, a lot of our native species, especially the grasses, they're actually promoted by fire. So, mm -hmm. you know, that fire on the landscape encourages them to grow. They're yeah. like, hey, we know this. We like this. Yeah. Let's, <laughs> let's pop up real Fescue's quick. Fescue's out of my way. Great. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> but something this year that jacob stewart and cody have really been working on with the prescribed fire council is our learn and burn mm -hmm. opportunity yeah, so yeah. prescribed fire council offers an eight-hour course to landowners who are interested in burning their own property but something that we've been trying to do this year is this learn and burn opportunity where those people who have completed the course can actually come out and see how we operate a prescribed yeah. fire see what goes into it see what they would need for their own properties and those have been going off really really well yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it seems like something people should be interested in it's good that we offer those well, it's classes. chemical free control too you know right. that's it's, another you know it's, it's going to be cheaper you know much you, cheaper if 
a bunch of people in your area are interested in it, hey, you've got a fire crew and you guys can mm-hmm. help burn each other's properties. Well, you've got spending all that on Roundup or any of that right. kind of or stuff. It's, yeah. you know? it's a, as far as time and money, it's it's so efficient. Like the, the one-minute video I was referencing earlier, the guy specifically was burning 18 acres for a landowner who wanted uh, his horses to be able to graze, mm-hmm. right? And it was tall, grown up, and it was kind of getting bushy. And so they basically took fire to it, and in like 30 minutes or so total time, they had burned 18 acres, and it was going to come up within two to three weeks of nice, yeah. you know, grasses, and the horses could move freely through it. And he said if they would have used a bush hog to do the exact same work, it probably would have taken three hours. Mm-hmm. So even you're saving money on fuel and stuff like that, but the time too. And bush hog doesn't get rid of invasives. Yeah. Bush hog doesn't right. reset Knocks the seed bank. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, the, so the re, there are so many reasons people should use it. So I'm glad that, I mean, it seems like more people are getting interested in it. And, oh you know, yeah. yeah. You know, a uh, little off subject, but similar. Um, years ago, there was a soccer field at Midway, and they decided and it's fescue all the way down to Lee Branch of South Elkhorn Creek, and and the biology professor there, Bev Jewett, said, "Let's not mow and see what happens," and it was amazing. They quit mowing. The fescue withered. Great blue lobelia, Indian grass. I mean, all these grasses that have been in the seed bank mm-hmm. for decade upon decade. I I couldn't believe it. I thought, well, the seeds will die. They'll turn into mush. No. As soon as they gave it a chance, boom, boom, the native stuff came back quickly. Yeah. I said, how'd that happen? It's like, well, those seeds are in the seed bank. They've been sitting there waiting for their chance. Yeah. So yeah. when you do prescribed fire, you're doing a very similar thing. Correct? Yeah, you're getting the competition out of the way, um, and you're you're giving a sort of, I guess you could say, a native practice to a native species. So, mm-hmm. of course, those two things are going to work together, and those introduced species are not going to do as well. They're mm-hmm. going to be confused, and that's... What you're mentioning is kind of, so before I started this job, I worked in private lands Mm -hmm. doing field visits and stuff. And one of the practices we recommend to people is what we call spray and walk away. And that's meant for people who maybe don't have the time to commit to going in and mowing, doing a bunch of planting. They can just spray spray in the fall, then spray again in the spring and just leave the place to see what happens. And a lot of the time what you see is those native species coming back because you've hit the fescue and Mm -hmm. the undesirable species. And, you know, that's a great practice. It gives our native species the habitat, more of the habitat that they're used to, and it's a little bit more low how, effort. How long will those seeds stay in the seed bank before they, I always thought they would, like, deteriorate and get, you know. It probably dis- depends on the species itself and how far it got into the dirt and mm-hmm. if it's still able to germinate. But they can be in there for years. Mm-hmm. I mean. I thought I thought I'd heard thousands of years at one point. No. Maybe, maybe I'm off on that. Yeah, well, maybe. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I don't Decades. I honestly don't decades, know. I mean, yeah, I decades, say. I would think for sure. Yeah. How long <laughs> seeds last in seed bank? Let's see if Google has anything for us. Ten or more years. Okay, mm-hmm. so not thousands. <laughs> okay. And that, that's vegetable and flower seeds, too. That may not. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so seeds technically don't expire, seed. but it comes down to the conditions. So basically, right, yeah. it's saying 10 to 20 years, yeah. isn't it? Okay, so I was a little off. But, I mean, it was amazing how native species just poof. Now they don't mow it at all, and people are like, kind of looks ugly. I was like, no, that's beautiful. <laughs> okay, well, now maybe they should start mowing, like, once every three years just mm-hmm. to <laughs> keep woody encroachment down and stuff. Yeah. But, yeah, it's, it's the, amazing. Trees are starting to, but there was no trees. It's a riparian zone. There's no trees, so they don't have any problem with that, I don't oh, think. Because they want to hold stabilize that bank. Yeah, yeah, right. So now, yep. now it's saying that even seeds that are thousands of years old can still germinate. So maybe well, some. All right. All right. <laughs> so I mean, you weren't like too far off, that, Chase. That storage place where we've got just thousands and thousands of species of seeds. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, oh, I'm yeah. sure that those are. 
pretty old, you know, but they're kept the way they need to be stored yeah. so they can germinate. It just it basically says that there's no expiration date on a seed as long yeah. as it's, <laughs> yeah. So they, there could be some down there. But anyway, so fire, yeah, that makes perfect sense. I'm glad we talked about that for a minute. But what what else has been going on in the turkey program? Oh, you have like a burn map there, huh? No, so, so this is actually some information I printed out just in case I needed to reference and make sure I give credit where credit is due. This is from our banding study oh, over okay. the winter, which so I started fire in February or in March, but before that, all the way up back to November, mm-hmm. it was turkey banding. Okay, and mornings so, in the blinds, turkey banding. Yeah, I, I was there for one of them. I was too. Oh, good, good. They had three or four come to it, but they didn't fire the rocket because they wanted to get more. And then, yeah. they were, then Zach was like, nah, "I should have fired the rocket." Yeah, Zach always <laughs> says that if he doesn't fire, he leaves thinking he yeah, should have no, no. fired the rocket. Well, but. luckily he fired it when we were there that day. When we had one lone gobbler come through early in the morning and didn't fire the rocket and that was probably eight fifteen in the morning then finally at four forty-five. oh wow that evening we were still there yeah we had 15 coming so it ended up being worth it yeah. but it was a long day mm-hmm. so <laughs> yeah. my, my <laughs> it was my very first trapping opportunity was when i was still in private lands and i worked out of the frankfurt usda office and Zach had texted me and asked if I could go with Joe Lacefield to trap these birds. So I met up with Joe. We went out to this, uh, I think they called it the Capitol View site. Oh, I know where that is, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's right <laughs> where that big Louisville sign is on CC4. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, maybe I shouldn't disclose that information. But I've seen pictures of that site published before. Yeah. So. so we're out there that morning. You know, we've got birds coming in. They're calling. Joe's got his call going crazy. And this time, so you're looking. The sun's coming up. This tom comes up over the ridge with his fan spread out, mm-hmm. the sunlight behind the fan silhouetting him, and I just like. Where was your camera? <laughs> you know? It was on my phone, but it was he was too far away at yeah. that point, and I'm just thinking, I guess I'm a turkey hunter now because yeah. I'd never been turkey hunting even up to that point. Yeah. I was like, well, this is why people do it. This oh, is yeah. why yeah. people no, hit the no field doubt. to trap these tur- or to hunt these birds, and. Uh, For me, it's yeah. the gobbles. It's the uh, the limb gobbles. I like it when I get out there and it's like, you know, sun's just starting to come up and you hear one hammer on a limb. Because then you're like, okay, I'm in it. Yeah. You know, so that's my favorite part about it. We Seeing saw them coming a in. good half dozen turkeys just out in the field yesterday. Oh, and yeah. we were th- sitting there thinking, after this weekend, that won't be happening. <laughs> <laughs> they be hiding. <laughs> They'll be somewhere. So, so you got into turkey trapping. That was back in November, you said, when you started? Yeah, that's when we, we start. Um, this year, you know, because of baiting stuff, you have to be careful when you can yeah. trap. But if we know a landowner doesn't hunt and we can have bait out, then you can start a little bit older, earlier. I think Joe yeah. had some sites he started in October. I think yeah. our first capture was October 25th. Yeah, because you can't interfere with their hunt. Yeah. If right. you're putting right. bait on a property, they couldn't hunt their own property yeah. Correct. at that yeah. point. So, so yeah, if you have some landowners you know don't hunt or a property that's not really used, mm-hmm. then, then we can then take advantage good, yeah. of those. But. Well, that makes sense. So how many do we know how many turkeys are now – out on the landscape with leg bands on so i can give you our numbers from this past season mm-hmm. 22 23 and it's pretty incredible so this the banding study we have going on it's for a graduate student master student abby riggs through tennessee tech yeah mm-hmm. I saw it yeah she and she used yeah. to be a technician for the department and then she was able to transition to this so she's great uh-huh. um but the goal zach has set is 300 male birds every year for four years yep Last year they caught I think 246. Mm-hmm. This year that we, was year one. That was year one. I think we caught 246 okay. male birds. Okay. This so, year, yeah. Go ahead. Oh no, I was gonna say. So we were 
good, but we were 50 short of our goal last we were year. About 50 short of our goal, but it was the first year we've yeah, done that. You so know, people had, you know, didn't have experience trapping birds. That's really good, con- yeah. all things considered. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This so, year, our regional staff caught 420. So we're ahead of birds. All right. we're ahead of schedule. Yeah. Right. Good. So not only How many did we 420? 420. So not only did we meet our goal for this year, but we more than made up mm-hmm. for yeah. what yeah. we didn't catch next year, which is absolutely incredible. I mean, yeah. That's a lot of birds. That's a lot of birds. It's a lot of time by our regional staff. So is that map right there kind of where the banding sites were located? Yep. So the map I've got in front of me are all our different banding sites. You can see we don't want to give out specifics because you no, want it I, to be a randomized. Right. Like, you know. Yeah. We want to have as much. We but want it's to a cover good distribution. as mm-hmm. much of the state as we can. It's excellent distribution. Yeah. I mean, you've got sites all the way across the state. Um, the, the, I mean. Not that there's a void anywhere, but Daniel Boone National Forest is the only area that is not like, well, there's dots all over it. Because right. as I look at central Kentucky covered, northern Kentucky, southeast, south central, southwest, west. west. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, everything's pretty well, pretty well distributed. Yeah. Yeah. We got a little open spot there in the eastern part of the state, but I mean, it's surrounded. So, it's not yeah. like the whole eastern side is mm-hmm. missing. We got that one little spot that, you know. Maybe we'll try to increase trapping in the future, but really, yeah. from a scientific that standpoint, that was the toehold of the turkey back in the bad old days. You know, the East yeah. Kentucky and LBL were yeah, the toeholds. Right. I uh, see so you got percentages too: sixty-eight and thirty-two gobblers to Jakes. Yep, gobblers to Jakes. I mean, that's really pretty good percentages, mm-hmm. and that's kind of in line. Two years ago, we had a really excellent, or well, a good hatch year. You know, based on our brood report. So to see gobblers, that percentage of gobblers is good and we had a pretty good hatch again this year to so to see that many jakes again those are promising yeah i was wanting to ask kind of about the hatches in recent years but first i see 243 blood samples were collected yeah so, so what does the blood sample from a turkey get used for this year dr christine casey she added an element to our research project where you know we've already got male birds in hand so we can draw blood from them but she's also wanting to draw blood from hens because we're kind of just doing disease surveillance. Okay. So on top of all this other stuff our regional folks are doing, this year they learned to draw blood from birds. Where do you so. take the blood from in a turkey? <sighs> the wing. So Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, you can we limited to two pokes on each side. That way, you know, we're not You wanna hurt the turkey. Right. We don't want to harm the birds. Um but yeah, you you kind of lift their wing up, and what would be? I know where it is. It's like the ma- the bone, the main bone. There's right, a, right where artery. what you would think of as being their elbow joint. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a nice big artery right there, um, and you just pull blood and let them go. Let yeah. them go. Yeah. You clean. I've noticed that before when I've cleaned turkeys, because for some reason sometimes I try to do funky things with the wings, and <laughs> but you notice like a big the big artery that runs yeah. through the wing, mm-hmm. so. That makes sense where you, why you'd get it there. Because I was thinking, for some reason, I've, I've seen them draw blood from deer and from elk and from bear. And it's usually in the, the side of the throat there, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Shave a little spot of hair off and get a quick um, stick. And I was thinking, that would be awfully tough on a turkey to draw Dr. From the Casey neck. can do it. <laughs> from when, the neck. So we, uh, we had an opportunity to practice on some domestic birds and... Uh, to give our guys, we didn't want yeah, to just yeah. turn them loose on our wild birds. Yeah. Say, uh, yeah. Good luck. <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> it's but, like yeah. when you're getting your blood drawn and it's <laughs> yeah, like new the person, young, the, the young one just out of, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but just yeah. out of school. <laughs> yeah. So we, we did the training <laughs> and then our, our regional folks were pulling blood this year and they did an excellent job at that too. So it's been, you know, 
clearly Zach and I can't go out and trap all these birds ourselves. This has been yeah. a huge effort a statewide from all of our staff. Yeah. So. And I see pictures of uh, staff all over the state doing it. So, I mean, it's cool that we exceeded goals because I hadn't heard those numbers yet for this year. I so, mean, 4, yeah, I mean, 420 is good. So we're that, 70 ahead, really. If you if you think we should have been at 600 right now, we're at like a 720 or something like that. Yeah, yeah. I think I looked that, at the records for all, and it was over 800 before I started filtering out year I and gotcha. sex and all that stuff. So that's sweet. And those reward bands, we've talked about that program before, but essentially we're trying to get harvest. Like we have the total number of harvest each year that are reported mm -hmm. right through Telecheck, and so in an effort to estimate the turkey population. We're basically trying to figure out what percentage of turkeys are harvested, and that's and that's where their bands come in, right? Because we're going to look at percentage of bands. Yeah. So the main goal that we have going on with this banding study is to get an idea of our harvest rate. Yeah, harvest rate. Because mm -hmm. you yeah, can use so that for a number of things. Exactly. So we we know how many bands we put out. We know how many bands we have out on the landscape. If hunters that harvest a banded bird will report those, then we can start to look at what percentage of those birds mm -hmm. were harvest so what was the percent harvest on our population and like you said we have really good distribution here we've got a pretty big sample you know once you have a sample of that size you can kind of start to apply that to the landscape mm -hmm. as a whole yeah no it makes perfect sense and one quarter of all those bands are reward bands so right every is... every fourth band of bird gets a reward band um so you what get do they those, get they get a gift card Oh, seven, cool. yeah. I heard it was seventy five dollars. It is a seventy five dollar gift band or gift. Band. <laughs> I guess you can call it a gift band. Yeah. Um, a seventy five dollar gift card. I think to Cabela's. Pretty sure that's what we sent out last year. I take it. Yeah, I'll yeah. take and it uh, right now. <laughs> <laughs> that's funded I by load our. I some more uh, gum got two heads. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, you're supposed to spend it on turkey stuff. <laughs> Come on now. No, as long as it's hunting or fishing. Or yeah, 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 okay. Um, but yeah, th those are those reward bands are funded by our state and WTF chapter. So. Any other big news in the turkey program right now that people need to be What's, aware of? You know, we talked about every year the, the state of the flock, the you know how many jakes are going to be um, in it versus how many older birds. I know uh, Zach's told me the last couple of years, you know, a lot of older birds hunter, hunting might be tougher. But if my memory serves correctly, that might be different this year. There might be more younger birds in the population, and the hunting may be better. Is, is that what you're seeing? Yeah, so looking at our brood report from this past season, so mm -hmm. I should – definitely talk about the brood report yeah. too because this past year we had i think over 2000 usable samples which is just an incredible sample size uh, so now what is the sample so our brood report we ask our citizen scientists to go on our survey one two three and report when they see hens and hens with poults yeah so mm -hmm. any observation is what we consider any uploaded observation is what we consider to yeah. be a sample um, and based on our numbers this year, you know, we expected to see a lot of jakes being captured and probably a lot of jakes harvested mm -hmm. this season because that's, that's what, what you, people observed. Mm -hmm. So, Which means maybe a little bit easier hunting. And than, those brood reports that told you what now? The recent ones? So like brood reports from the past two years, those would give you an idea how many jakes we would have in the landscape like last year and this year, right? Right. So the brood report gives you an idea of what the hatch looked like. Mm -hmm. And hatch looked pretty good, good the last yeah. two years so you know this year you'll probably have quite a few two-year-old birds on the landscape and then like we said a bunch of jakes well, i cheated from your quotes in the uh, sierra's article in the last magazine <laughs> <laughs> yeah and that that all this information that brood report mm -hmm. is easily available on our website you know if people want to see what that means what those numbers mean what we're doing 
Um, it's a pretty robust study, and it's been going on for years. In 2017, all the states kind of surrounding us started to do their analysis the same way, do their data collection the same way. And so not only are we able to see our state, but we can compare that and see what it looks like. And we're pretty much on trend with the eastern part of the state. One of the things that prompted the study is overall, you know, Turkey's numbers have been more volatile in the last decade throughout the southeast, correct? Yeah, we've... Is yeah, that, a, is a, that a factor of just carrying capacity? You know, for years, the turkey <laughs> flock... Depends on got, who you ask. Yeah, the turkey flock... I know, I've talked to Zach about this. The turkey flock, for my most of my career, was always growing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because I remember in 78, the first turkey I saw was when I was 17 years old. I was squirrel hunting, one flush from a tree, scared me so bad, I threw my gun on the ground, hit the fetal position. Right. And uh, I never heard the end of it for a long, long time for my <laughs> brother and my buddy Chris. Um so every year it was growing, and then, you know, when it reached comparing capacity, Steve Doby told me years ago that it's going to fluctuate now. Right. Just based upon reproduction success, habitat, and things of that nature. That's a, and is that is that is that an easy, easier way to explain what's been happening? So when, me, when Zach and I talk about this, you know, it's easy for us to understand. Mm-hmm. Trained biologists, that's the whole basis of everything we learn is carrying capacity. So it's like you said, for years following the reintroduction, population grew and grew and grew it can't grow forever at some point there's a limiting factor and that's what you call carrying capacity so it's possible that our turkeys sort of peaked went over that carrying capacity and now Mm. the the population is checking itself Mm -hmm. so once you reach that peak following that you see kind of a wavy line that bounces up and down Mm -hmm. and that's just the population uh, checking itself and you know that carrying capacity line that doesn't stay the same either the carrying capacity back in the 70s might have been a little bit higher because you have more habitat but if you think about urban sprawl and stuff Mm -hmm. now a turkey can't be on a paved lot that used to be a field yeah so while the population is changing the landscape is changing too so that could be part of it that makes perfect sense as far as the care because i mean carrying capacity that's how many you can have right right. you'd be a little over a little under based on the year but uh, the carrying capacity can definitely change, and that's that's where a lot of the habitat work comes in, because you know you only have X number of acres. You know they're not mm-hmm. making more exactly. land, yeah. but you can make your land better. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's kind of where the private lands program and what you've oh, been yeah. doing with the burns comes in, because you can try to increase the carrying capacity, and that that'll help, especially like localized. You know, if you if somebody had a property, they could make their property more attractive. Mm-hmm. If their neighbors did the same thing, it would really help. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know? yeah, it's it's all about the landscape. You know. It's great. If any individual wants to do something, yes, come yeah. to us. Let's get you hooked up. If you can get a whole area full of neighbors yeah, that are all interested yeah, in the same, same thing, similar goals, yeah. well, then you're really cooking. It's funny. When Lee was talking about that, how he remembers when it was always growing, always growing. Yeah. I was going through and watching an old video yesterday, actually, for next week's show. And it was a video from the late 80s or early 90s, one of the two. And they were doing turkey restoration efforts still. Mm-hmm. So they were at the point where they were trapping turkeys and then relocating them in the state. But they, they were talking about how, you know, there were fewer than a thousand turkeys in the whole state and we mm-hmm. had to trade river otters. Yes, we did. For turkeys. Yeah. Apparently river otters were what we were getting river otters from some other yeah, state. Yeah, and then and, I mean, it was a convoluted deal. Yeah, yeah. it was like we, we, we were taking. <laughs> I think some of ours came from Louisiana, didn't it? Some of our. I'm pretty we, sure there were a lot of states that we got turkeys yeah, we from. traded for. Yeah. But it wasn't, we were, it sounded the way he told it, like we weren't even taking possession of the river otters. We were like, we, okay, we now own these river otters. We're direct transferring them to this state. Mm-hmm. So it sounded ridiculous. But 
anyway, eventually they brought in enough birds to where our population was able to be trapped from within and then relocated to other parts of the state. And, I mean, essentially it started off at less than a 1,000. And do we have an estimate on the turkey population? I mean, the harvest is like 30-something thousand. Yeah, I, Zach might have a guess, but I, <laughs> I couldn't tell you. Pinpointing actual population yeah. is, I mean... I but, grew up but, close com- to Bernheim and Knob State Forest, and that was one of the first places that was, you know, they stocked. Right. Uh, because it's great habitat. And I was, uh, right around 17, 18, I started seeing turkeys all over Nelson County. So you know, they just went poof. 250 to 400,000 is uh, based on, you know, it's somewhere in that range based on the science that we have available. So right less now. than 1,000 to quarter yeah. million to 400. That's, That's what I'm saying. Pretty good. So it's, pretty, uh, it's pretty amazing how successful it was. And I think that if we had the harvest data in front of us, we, I don't think we do right now, but I think you'd see a peak around 2010. Was George Wright in the video you saw? Was that uh, George Wright? No, actually it was being led by conservation officers. It oh. was uh, Joe Bland. Oh, yeah. I know and yeah, and then another conservation officer, uh, I want to say his name is Mark, but I'd have to show you the video. But it was being led by conservation officers because apparently back, you know, I think some of the jobs that our private lands people and our biologists do now, some of the conservation officers were more mm-hmm. hand-on with, with. Yeah, they used to do both. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. well, they were in in charge of making contact with landowners to do the trapping on their property and like developing those relationships and they were hands-on in the field like mm-hmm. with the turkeys so that's all in this video that we'll be showing next week so that that's who was leading it back then but george wright i didn't see him in the video no. but it, it is He's amazing legendary. he was yeah. behind the scenes well, yeah. <laughs> when you're my age or your age elizabeth like i mean you don't remember there not being any turkeys mm-hmm. like you remember in, in high school driving down the road and seeing turkeys out the window yeah. you know so for us it, you kind of have to realize that <clears throat> at one point it wasn't like that so no i'm not calling you oldly but, but well, you've got some double <laughs> nickel i can kind of officially him <laughs> over. Yeah, you, you've got you've got the unique. there's granite younger than me yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah i guess yeah. i i take but for I, granted I just, it's been great because i've got to watch it just boom yeah. I, I remember the first time i was a friend of mine gave me free tickets to the Bank One Classic, which was a senior tour event in Lexington. And I took, I was going back home to me and my parents in Bartstown. I took a little side road through a horse farm and yeah. sitting on a horse plank. Mayor's out in the paddock, Mr. Turkey. I was like, what? <laughs> what in is the that? Middle, I mean, <laughs> what is it doing? Out there? You know, it was just amazing. That's when I knew, wow, we're, we're really crushing it. Because yeah. that, you know, when I was growing up, oh, turkeys are so wary. You'll never see them. You have to go in the yeah. woods and all that. And then there was one sitting on a fence in the middle it is of Fayette County. Most of the stories I hear about, you know, people telling a turkey a turkey story from the 70s or 80s, it's the exact one you had where it scared the fire out of it. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah, that's what I was going to say. You know, I take for granted that turkeys weren't always as populous. And I think I have this one memory. You know, I'm kind of new to turkey hunting, but I'm not new to hunting by any yeah. means. I've been yeah. going with my dad since I was big enough to walk pretty much and i have this one memory of us walking out a ridge on the way to his stand and a flock of turkeys i guess we flushed them or mm-hmm. they were coming off the roost or whatever but it sounded like a helicopter landing no, you, know, no, you do no. you want to hit the ground oh no <laughs> it's, well, a, it's incredible I, I just love the turkeys gobbling in the mornings that's my favorite thing <laughs> like is them gobbling on the limb but i did used to have a deer stand on a creek that was directly across from some roost trees that they used quite a bit. So in the evenings, I would always watch the turkeys come up and, and go to roost, and I'd sit there and watch them until it got dark. And I'd, Yeah. You know, so that's kind of my turkey memories, if we're talking about old ones. Chase and I were out on a photo shoot a couple weeks ago on uh, Green River Tailwater right below oh, yeah. the dam. And uh, Mr. Uh, Mr. Tom was up talking, and then we'd heard... 
the hens were yeah, purring we, and talking to him too, right on the ridge, right above us. Yeah, we it was right up above us. Probably the way of, I mean, straight line, probably 150 yards. Mm -hmm. But you know, we had that big. I mean, he's probably. Go, then you'd hear the kind of cooing, and you know. The, I'm the, sorry, you hear what? <laughs> you know, you hear that, and then the little cooing and all. It's like, oh, here's the Jake or the Chase is like, Lee, there's the hen. Listen. And then you could hear that. You know, I was like, oh, yeah. I'm over calling. Yeah. Because <laughs> it was it much more subtle than, you know. Yeah, that was that was fun. Yeah, seeing that. And then we saw a juvenile and a mature bald eagle. Yeah. Oh, wow. Right, flying right over us. Yeah, that was that was pretty cool. That was a fun day. And uh, I think the bald eagles probably caught more fish than we did. Although, you guys did go down, and, and we were with a, a couple of other people from the department here. You all went and caught some smallmouth. and mm -hmm. I. I went up um, to the tailwaters there, and there was I was musky fishing the whole day. I was pretty much trying to get a musky, and there was a musky swimming around up there in the what they call the box. Yeah, in the box, which you got to be careful fishing the box because there's certain rules and regs and single hook and things like that. One pole per person. Like there's some you can't. It'd be easy to screw up up there. So I saw this musky swimming around, and I took a swim bait and I ran it, you know, six inches in front of his nose, and he didn't he didn't want it. I tied a spinnerbait on, ran it six inches in front of his nose. He didn't want it. And then <laughs> I watched that muskie turn around and swim like 20 feet away and eat a crappie jig. <laughs> so I, was, yeah, I swear, he, it was uh, this little green and orange crappie jig, looked like a spider. And some guy was just straight, straight lining it on a crappie pole, a six pound test line. And this, that was me. Yeah. <laughs> That's how much I know. I, I, I ended up talking to this guy for a while, but he caught the fish. I mean, he he sat there with that. And six, pulled it up the box with six-pound line, didn't he? This, one of those guys had a net. One of those nets mm. that was on a rope that you can drop down. And oh, okay. It's, it's open like a, a, a basket, and you just have to get the fish in the basket, and then you can pull it up. So some guy had one of those, and he ended up, you know, getting the fish worn out enough to get it in that net, and they got it up. And um, he wanted to keep it, and it's got to be like 42 mm -hmm. or 40. 40, because I know some regs recently changed. Yeah. But he took out a dollar bill. That's all he had. And so I was, it was 40, because I was thinking it's got to be six and a half dollar bills. Mm -hmm. Right. So he took a rope and he laid it the length of the fish, and he got the length of rope. And then he took his dollar bill and he laid it down there, and it came up about one inch shy of six and a half dollar bills and he put it back so and it swam off just fine but i was yeah. like man that was that was uh intense yeah. a couple <laughs> a couple of moments because first i watched this guy fight this muskie on six pound crappie line mm -hmm. for forever and then when they were measuring it that was intense too because i was like is he gonna keep it and then you he know? bagged on the rod he had didn't he oh he did yeah <laughs> so that's how i struck up a conversation with him because he was talking up his rod there so that i might have already told that story mm -hmm. did we already talk about that one on not the not on the podcast okay. i think because yeah. I, I think you I told me yeah that's right that's right it'd been a little bit since we did a podcast he was but. from where he was from out of state wasn't yeah he? he was from like um Mont somewhere in the northwest yeah he was in stay. He, I, I got his card. He's an animal uh, relocator, like a specialist mm. up in. Wait, well, I think he's in Wyoming because I specifically asked him if wolves or anything that he had to deal with in his wildlife business, and he said that federally they were regulated and he wasn't allowed to deal with. Wolves. Oh right, so, yeah. yeah. So with that, um, thank God, because I, <laughs> I probably wouldn't want to do that. Yeah. All right. So back to turkey. Mm-hmm. What else? What else do we need to cover? Because I, I honestly thought we were skipping off the turkey subject a second ago, and then I saw your chart there, and it was something completely different. So one thing I wanted to know, and I think Lee was getting to this, but I might have thrown us no, off you're course, fine. was the bro the brood surveys, right? Mm -hmm. So what is what does that tell you about what we should expect to see in the field yeah. this year? So what we're able to do with that brood report 
or well, brood observations, we're able to get a poult per hen ratio. So we take the number of hens that we're seeing with poults, mm -hmm. you divide the number of poults by the number of hens. That's the standardized way that other states have been doing it so that we can compare our data. And that gives us a poults per hen estimate. And, you know, we can compare previous trends or previous numbers, compare that to your hunting, your harvest. Mm -hmm. And you can kind of see, you know, you can extrapolate, I guess, and predict what the hunt might look like based on yeah. what we've seen, what we see this year and what compare that to what we've seen in the past. So, and it also gives us a, you know, it starts to give us an estimate of nest success because mm -hmm. we also get observations of hens with no poults and for whatever reason, you know, they might not, you might not be able to see the poults. They might not be with them at mm -hmm. that moment in time, but, um, yeah, it's really, really good information. So are we thinking that there are going to be more young birds? Mm -hmm. That's yeah. kind of more young birds on the landscape this year, yeah. which yeah. Isn't, isn't a bad thing. I mean, Honestly, it's kind of interesting. So we're thinking maybe more jakes. More jakes out. More yeah. jakes, yeah. And that typically makes easier hunting, correct? You know. And I'll be generally. honest with you, something I learned that I I wasn't, I like I never thought of it this way, because most turkey hunters, me included, want the gobbler, right? Mm -hmm. We don't want to take a jake. You know, there's just something about a gobbler. Yeah. But there is a, some benefit. Like if we're saying that there's more jakes on the landscape and somebody shoots a jake instead of a gobbler, like there is some benefit to doing that, right? Like what I what I was told, and it's probably Joe Lacefield or Zach that told me this, was that essentially at that one year old at the Jake mark, they only have a fifty percent chance of survival to year two, right? So half of all Jakes are gonna die anyway before making it to be a gobbler, but then once they hit year two, they have like a ninety percent survival rate. Hmm. As once they hit adulthood, they're they're gonna survive. So when you take a gobbler off a landscape, <clears throat> you were taking pretty much a bird that was going to be on the landscape the next year too, mm -hmm. off the landscape. But when you take a jake, you're it's only fifty percent of the of the time. So you're not affecting the population long term as much by taking a jake as you are taking a gobbler, because then you have like a a proven survivor and a probably a, a successful reproducer in the gobbler. So there is a mm -hmm. benefit to taking jakes. Right. So I mean, hunting as a whole it's all built around this concept that hunting is compensatory. Mm -hmm. And what's that, what that means is that rather than that bird dying of some natural cause on the landscape anyway, people are able to harvest those birds. So that's exactly what you're saying. That Jake, it might not survive anyway. So if we're taking those off the landscape through harvest, we haven't really hurt anything. It's not, mm -hmm. it's not additive mm -hmm. mortality. We're not yeah. killing birds on top of birds that would die anyway. It's kind of like how we do with doves when mm -hmm. part of it is thinking about the doves that wouldn't make the migration. Exactly. Anyway. Yep. Isn't that how that works, Lee? Yes. Yeah, because you're, you're assuming a certain percentage certain of loss. Are, yeah, and, and, you know, it happens in fisheries management, too. I mean, there's, yeah, a, there's I mean, that's the at whole... least a 40% mortality. Now, most of them are young of the year every year in a lake, you know, but that you factor into that when yeah. you're planning. So yeah. that's, that's how the turkey numbers make sense. Yeah, that's, I mean, hunting, harvest of any animal that we're able to hunt or fish, it's all built around that idea that we are taking out whatever percentage of the population that would not survive until the next year anyway. Well, you just want sustainability. Right, for, exactly. For turkey, it, it makes, it, it kind of hits a little bit different because of the survival rate difference between a one-year-old and a two-year-old. It's like, man, if, you know, it's almost doubled, you know, their chances of surviving after they make it to year two. So taking a one-year-old just has less of an impact. 
Big picture, right? Yes. Big picture, yeah. I mean, that's it's easy to in, think in a, about with turkeys. In a snapshot, like with any one turkey, it, it might not matter at all, but big picture. Big picture, yeah. Yeah. If you take out a 1,000 gobblers or you take out 500 gobblers and 500 jakes, chances are next year you're going to end up with more birds if you took out the combination of the two mm-hmm. instead of just all gobblers. Of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, if you only took out gobblers... So then you've taken out these gobblers, but then these jakes also died for whatever reason because it's a young bird. It's yep. got a higher chance of dying. Yep. So that becomes additive mortality yep. because mm-hmm. you've taken out adult individuals yep. that likely wouldn't have died and would have made it to yep. mate breed the next year. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. And, of course, everybody's hunts their hunt, so take what you want. Oh, yeah, of you course. Know? As long as you're happy with it, who cares what anybody yeah. else that, says? That, that's where I'm at. If you want to hold out for a gobbler, like, I mean, I'll be 100% honest with you. If I go out tomorrow morning and i hear birds gobbling and a jake comes by i'm probably not going to shoot no, the jake but I've, I've passed on jakes before because yeah. i wanted the real deal you and, know? I, and i'll i'll do it again i just don't think that people need to like there's nothing wrong with shooting a jake no you know especially for a young hunter to get their you know, oh, yeah. oh gosh yeah but, if i so i'm gonna go i get the chance to hunt with these act tanks okay oh, cool. i'm gonna hunt with zach tomorrow you know if a jake is the first and if you bird don't get one shot, we're gonna ride zach hard no yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey as far as y'all know i got one okay <laughs> but yeah i mean if a jake is the first bird to present a shot you better believe oh, i'm gonna take that, a shot my trigger finger will never talk to me again <laughs> well, that, listen, here in about two weeks i might be praying for a jake <laughs> right. you know? so yeah. you just i've been there before i so. saw a fascinating study on nature about predators and the keystone species concept and they did some experiments where they removed all the predators from water and then on land and the environment went to hades Mm -hmm. Um, all the little things took over the food resources depleted and then eventually all species suffered then they would put the predators back and come back in a year and everything had changed Uh, much more food abundance all the species were in balance and yeah. the place was thriving. It's just amazing. People think it, it's backwards to a lot of people think, oh, I got to, can't, can't have predators. They're going to prey upon. No, predators are needed and healthy Absolutely. In, in the ecosystem. So it, it really, it was fascinating. That's the food web. I mean, mm-hmm. it's from bottom up, top down, however you want to think about it. It's predators are meant to predate mm-hmm. you know a prey species is a prey species because it's meant to be taken out mm-hmm. by something else it's just that's how it works predators have to be on the landscape or i mean or it just collapses unless you just love having mice in your house yeah <laughs> so, oh yeah you know, and, and, and the, the food resources get eaten right that's like know. you know deer destroying agriculture mm-hmm. yeah. probably because there's a lot of deer <laughs> you know mm-hmm. they we there has to be some sort of harvest or removal of individuals. It's just how it works. It's how it's worked forever. And it, it could be done without people if we hadn't, you know, screwed things up so exactly. bad. Exactly. We basically, you know, we've created a situation where it wouldn't work on its own, so therefore it's kind of Because we're the only predator. Well, like, well, I mean, it falls on us to, to make the balance now because we've altered the landscape so much. Now, exactly. you know, the, the forest and the, you know, it's not like it used to be, so things wouldn't be in that balance now right. unless mm-hmm. we figured out a new balance, but... You, you hear people all the time say, well, just let nature take its course. Well, there's many, there's got, many ways to think about that, but nature taking its course now is not yeah. what nature taking its course before European settlement mm-hmm. would look like. Well, no, I do think yeah. that it could still happen that way. I mean, I'm, I'm, have you ever uh, 
seen an old place from like the 1920s in the hills somewhere mm-hmm. that has just gone back to nature. Yeah, I saw a bunch of them yesterday. It's, it's cool, know? isn't it? Yeah. But it doesn't take long for concrete and everything to go away, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. But, nature would take a course yeah. for sure, but it might not be but, the same course that it was on before. Yeah. Basically, yeah. we're exactly. saying it's you know? not going to manage populations in a way that works, um, you know, so we kind of have to step in. But, you know, we got a comment on our YouTube like last week or the week before, and I couldn't tell if the guy was being sarcastic, but he basically was saying that we were mean for, for fishing, that we were, you know, like there was something wrong with it when you can just go to the supermarket and get your fish. And I was I couldn't tell if that but was sarcasm. But those are uh, commercially raised fish that come from a yeah. farm. What a, what a quality of Holmes? life. <laughs> you know, I mean, what are you doing? Yeah, what a quality of life, you know. Yeah. That's kind of like that Megan Martin that we went hunting with the show, you know, oh, she... Yeah. She told me, you know, when why she was on the verge of, you know, becoming a vegetarian or a vegan, and she wanted to eat meat, but she just didn't like the quality of life that, that you know, animals had mm-hmm. in a in a factory setting, and so then she thought about hunting, and she thought about, you know, basically it's it's a living a free life, you know, mm-hmm. doing mm-hmm. whatever it wants, going wherever it goes, and so just the quality of life so much better that I, I think that if you have the option to provide for yourself through hunting or fishing and you don't, then that's kind of cruel. You yeah, know? and I think. <laughs> the the minority minority of hunters that are ah, i just want to kill some stuff those yeah. people talk louder than hunters like you and i who just you know it's been a lifestyle for us mm-hmm. we're ethical people we respect the animals we take mm-hmm. the public doesn't see that side of hunting until they've experienced well, it with yeah, a mentor I, I think that people have a cartoonish you know i mean Absolutely. they watch bugs bunny and stuff and you know yeah. that, <laughs> that, the majority of time in hunting you fail I mean, you know, oh, yeah. you, you, success isn't guaranteed. No, you fail a lot. Fishing, you fail. I got skunked yesterday. I yeah. had all the, you know, I'm, it, it happens. So um, I think people think you ought, you just walk out in five minutes, you shoot something and it's over. No, it's 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 a failure yeah. most of the time. And I, I think most <laughs> hunters, you know, there is some thrill to have an opportunity to harvest an animal. But for a lot of us, you know, it's more about the connection to mm-hmm. the resource itself. You know, we're not just cold-blooded killers. We no. understand what we're doing. We understand why we do it. I still it. had a great and day yesterday and didn't catch a fish. Right, that's I saw what, wildflowers. I saw know, other species. I caught, a, I caught some fish, but not what I was at. You were talking about getting to hear gobbles on, on, yeah. the, on the limb and stuff. I like that term. And one of my best days in the field was this past season trapping turkeys. I was out with Joe Lacefield in Woodford. I think it was Woodford County. That's as detailed as I care to get. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But we were in this this bottom that was basically surrounded by a horseshoe of river. Mm -hmm. We got there. Joe hits his call a little after 7. Birds across the river on one side start Mm -hmm. gobbling, which just creates a symphony of birds around the river. So we've got all these birds gobbling. It's echoing off the water. It's coming to us. We've got birds behind us that are gobbling too. I mean, we did not end up firing the nets that day, but that was one of the best days I've ever had in the yeah, field. I mean, just to fun. sit there for three hours straight, birds nonstop gobble. Some of them even came out in front of us. You know, you get to watch them fan while they're still setting up their mm-hmm. hierarchy and all that good stuff. I mean. Turkeys are funny when they're doing their little thing. Aren't oh, my gosh. It's just, you know, I, I would have done that for a week without catching yeah. a bird. It was just so incredible to get to hear them and enjoy it like that. Yeah, I'm looking forward to tomorrow. Now, I hope I hear some gobbles. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you were talking about the the failure part, and I was I was actually for some reason daydreaming yesterday. I guess it's because I just went to Pine Mountain, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and of course I'm always looking at the map when I'm down there. So anytime we're up high, 
and I can see a good distance and see the mountaintops. I'm looking to see what's what, you know, out there. And I could see across the way where I bear hunt at on, mm-hmm. oh, nice. on one of those mountains. So I was kind of reminiscing. And I was thinking about bear season because obviously I've never been successful, right? You know, when I started going bear hunting, it was kind of like on a whim. And we were, it was, it was 10 years ago. So I was probably 23 or something like that. And somebody said, hey, let's go bear hunting. And, you know, okay. So it, it'll be fun. We'll go out in the mountain. We'll bear hunt. And, um, we didn't see a bear and i worked my butt off going up and down that mountain not really planning to like i didn't expect success and so the next year when i went i wanted like i took it a little more serious because i'd worked i'd worked hard the year before Mm. and so i've worked my butt off a little harder going up and down the mountain and i didn't get a bear and so that went on for a year and year and year and every year i'd go I'd, i'd i'd be like a little bit more dedicated to it and i'd work a little bit harder and i still haven't gotten a bear but here in recent years, it's gone to where instead of just going to bear hunt, now I'm going down a week early to scout, you know, mm-hmm. and I'll beat my butt off on the mountain and then go back a week later and do it again to bear hunt. And last year I went and I archery hunted and I scouted and I gun hunted. And so I've been working harder and harder. And at this point, like I've gone through some pain on that mountain. Mm-hmm. Like I'm telling you, like last, last year on the first day I hiked up and it's five miles to the top. And when I got up there, my feet already had blisters on the bottom like my heel and the ball of my foot and i was like oh man two days of mountain walking with blisters on the bottom mm-hmm. so and so i did that 15 more miles on those blisters and i was thinking the whole time i was like when i get a bear it's gonna be worth it so next year i'm looking to go get a bear but it's 10 years of failure you know what i mean mm-hmm. and every year i fail i get a little bit more like oh, i gotta go mm-hmm. and so right now i'm just like daydreaming about it six months from the season you know <laughs> yesterday i was sitting there in my car thinking about getting a bear so you'll get one this year uh, no i gotta feel i I never i never say this year but you know it is it it kills me because i'll go down there to scout and i'll walk right up on a bear you know right up on them then i'll go down there to bear hunt and i'll have a bear i'll have a bear at 100 yards you know or to bow hunt and i'll have one at 100 yards and then i'll go down there for for gun season and i won't see one (laughs) <laughs> so it's like they're always just a little bit out of reach but it's still fun so you go to kentucky lake crappie fishing and you don't catch a very few and you go to the bait store it's like oh i should have been here last week bull yeah they <laughs> turn the boat up right there you know every time yeah and you just it, missed them yeah every you time. just missed them you know, yeah. every single time. it always makes me want to go back though yeah. but there it is fun to hunt and not fail sometimes too mm-hmm. i mean i'll take the, i'll take the failure but only one you know not for everything if i went out you know i don't want to put down any type of hunting but there are things that i would not fail so hard for but a, a bear is worth it it's kind of oh, yeah, like and everybody's adventure. got their thing it's yeah. kind of an event i would do it for deer but as far as turkey goes i like action i want to mm. hear the turkeys oh, i want yeah. i want to bare minimum just being, just you know, there's just something magical about being in the woods before the sun comes oh, up my you gosh. know whether you it be turkey it. or waterfowl hunting in january and it's really cold i've been out hunting where my coffee would still be steaming but it was forming ice around them because it was so cold that think, is go ahead i'm sorry no i was just to say i mean even if you're not somebody who's into hunting as a, a means of harvest everybody should go at least a couple times whether it's deer hunting turkey hunting whatever yeah. just to be with the world when it's waking up no, that's you my, can't put a price tag on no it's it. awesome. i mean it's my girlfriend she's as outdoorsy as they get right i mean she's always hiking and fish in but she was not a hunter and so that's one thing that she had missed out on because not yeah. many people get to go out there and just sit still and watch it come alive and i think that when she started going hunting with me she enjoyed that but um i was sitting here thinking would i rather because i said i just want to hear them right 
So then I was thinking, is that what I would really prefer? Like if you gave me the choice of seeing turkeys in the field versus not seeing any turkeys but hearing them gobble, which one would I prefer? And I would take the give them, give me the gobbles, you know. I will take not seeing a bird and, and hearing them versus I think Zach them. told me, I, I wrote an article two years ago about the study. Mm-hmm. And... Um, he was saying that, that gobbling is, is essential to hunter satisfaction, whether or not they get a bird. If they hear a bird gobble, a lot of them feel like, okay, well, I'm good. Yeah, yeah. I heard a bird. <laughs> no, that's, yeah. that's true. You know. If I go out and I hear one goblin and, you know, I get to interact with it with my calls and I usually go home pretty happy. Mm-hmm. You know, if I go out there and I see them and they're just locked up in a field and I get no interaction, they aren't coming towards me, they're not responding to the calls, i probably don't go home as happy yeah. mm-hmm. you know what i mean that and i guess that we do surveys where we send out the email surveys to turkey hunters after the season yep. usually the i've had big surveys. ones lock up and just gobble 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 you call gobble 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 but they never move yeah you yeah. know that's usually the, the older more smart mature do you birds, think correct? well and i do think that they could come down to being hand up a little bit too because mm-hmm. um, if they have the real hands with them they probably aren't coming yeah, yeah. but that is something else that, you know, I think was talked about during the call-in show that I agree with is that if you have a bird that's locked up on you, like you had him gobbling on the lamb, and then you think, oh, here we go, and a couple hours go by and he's not there, like the best time to hunt is probably coming up because it's like that 10 o'clock to noon window. Mm-hmm. If if he's with hens, a lot of times those hens are going to go to nest, and then he's going to be by himself. And that usually happens around 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock or something like that, and that's when you will get that bird to come in. So maybe don't call it like an early morning. Mm-hmm. You know, if you had if you had action earlier, but it's kind of gone quiet on you, you know, it's probably worth it to stick it out. And more is less, isn't it? With calling, I know, yeah. it's just generally, don't you think more is less? Yeah. When people overcall, don't Le- you think? Less people? is more? You- yeah, yeah, that's what, less, less is more. I don't know. I, yeah, I think it probably just depends on the bird you're working with. I'm going to go out there. I'm going to call my head off. Yeah. <laughs> Me too. I got this brand new call. I'm ready to break her in. Yeah. <laughs> so this this is a... Uh, Did Bo make that one? Bo Spencer made this. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he had two that were ready to go, and Zach was asking about it. And Bo said, yeah, I've got two that are ready right now. And Zach said, we'll wrap them up. So he got yeah, nice himself and me our matching calls is it oh, signed cool. on the back there? it is signed yep. on the back 2023 and you're gonna kill a bird with it tomorrow? i'm gonna kill a bird with this call tomorrow. give her a rip all right <laughs> okay this is so i've only been practicing at my desk to the disdain of all my co-workers so let's well, that used to be common oh yeah that sounds good I wish that I sounds a, really good i wish i had a gobble call <laughs> I need to break out my, my calls. I haven't done that yet. <laughs> so, a wooden striker. What, what's your opinion on wood versus graphite striker? I have both. Um, I have one. Wood works better when it's dry, correct? Well, I have one that's, uh, uh, Harold Knight gave it to me. So you have yours signed. Oh, colored. yeah, no big deal. Harold yeah, Knight yeah, just the man who kind just of invented casually, it, you know. Just casually <laughs> mentioned that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's like, you know, John Wayne taught me how to act. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, but, so this striker, I'm looking at the tip of it here, right? And so this one has something in it, right? Uh, you know I think that's just off of this, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, so the one that I have that I really like is a wood striker, but it's actually got um, a coating on the end of it. And all the coating is is JB Weld. It's hmm. just you take the epoxy mix and you mm-hmm. mix it together so it turns gray, and you just dipped it in that and uh, sanded it down. And then that, so I'm actually using a JB Weld striker, hmm. and it's completely waterproof. And I mean, it can, oh, it, nice, yeah. it can be soaking wet. 
So that's that's a little trick that when Harold gave me that call, he was like, what kind of striker do you like? And I picked his brain about it, and I said, what do you think? What are they? And, and he was like, well, this one here, and he told me it was completely waterproof, and I asked what the tip was, and he's like, believe it or not, that's just J.B. Weld. So I don't know. If I citizens all through Kentucky just yeah. emptied out the shelves. Yeah, yeah. Well, J.B. Weld. You're hey, welcome. I've not got a some at home. <laughs> yeah, you, got it. you better keep J.B. Weld at home. That stays in my junk, junk drawer. Mm-hmm. I use J.B. Weld all the time. Oh, it, it rocks. Yeah. But so so that's I, I love the the slate calls. That's probably my favorite call to use. I'm, Do you I'm use not, a glass call? Well, mm-hmm. any of the like the. So, I mean, I've got that one's just slate, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Slate. And you got slate. You got glass. There's a copper ones now. Um, I saw some I saw of those, those at yeah. Aluminum. Yeah. There's some aluminum ones. I won a slate of uh, Quaker Boy, I think, at a show. But Roby Doan, who helped print our magazine when Gateway had it, built some beautiful, for Rick and I, glass calls. But the cover of the turkey guide that mm-hmm. you like so much this year, oh, yeah. he cut that turkey in the distance. He cut that out of the guide and inlaid it in the glass. So when you look down, you see Rick's painting of the turkey. That's oh, nice. That I almost awesome. don't, it's so killer, I almost don't want to use it. I mean, I've used it a little bit, but if I yeah. lost that, I'd throw up. No, I would. <laughs> That'd be pretty uh, pretty awesome. To and have. it's a glass call, and uh, it does really well with, with the, I like the graphite striker with it. It seems like I do better. With me, if you ask me which call I like, though, I, I don't know. I mean, I pick them up, and it's one of those things where as soon as I try it for two seconds, I'm like, junk throw it down <laughs> or i love it you know do anyone still use paddle calls box calls i do i love mine yeah I've, i know nwtf they were going crazy all over the place people were walking around yeah I've got, them, so. I've, i mean i've got those now if, it, if it's damp those don't do as well correct I, well it, but they're loud and they're easy to use i've yeah, got they are loud my box call I, I remember it too i got it in 2006 a guy named freddie rucker in shelby county made it for me and he's a interesting guy but he used to hand make them and it's partly broken he had it set up so that it had two different sides on it one was a little more raspy and one was and i broke one of them off somewhere along the line but uh that's one i still use today just kind of you know i only have that one side and it's kind of broken now but i take it out there if i want to be loud but the problem with the box call is when you're walking through the woods i always want to i know that i've got mine's got a little velcro thing on it to to makes a gap so you take the Velcro thing off when you want it, but if it it, it doesn't make any noise nice. if you're walking. Yeah, I just rubber band mine together. Yeah. And, you know, most of the turkey vests have, like, a pocket that's kind of made for them with, like, a zip tie. Like, not a zip tie, but a bungee cord-style mm-hmm. pocket that will hold them in place, too. But that's the most annoying thing is when I'm walking through the woods trying to be quiet and I bend down to try to avoid a branch. And How often do you take the, the four-aught stew or the, the very fine-grain uh, sandpaper to your friction calls every 15 minutes probably really I mean, that's I what yeah that's what zach field. told me you know you got to scratch this up you got to keep sandpaper with you, know, you so i keep mine in my pocket and when i'm in the field i mean the first thing i do when i get out there sand it off and then about 20 minutes later 30 minutes later you know there's been a little dew on the ground and i'm worried that the dew's got it messed <laughs> up so I, sand it. so I mean i'm constantly doing it i don't know if you need to do that constantly but it's like something to do with my hands you know yeah, but. so i just keep doing it but that that's me I'm looking forward to it. You guys got me excited for turkey season tomorrow now. Yeah, cool. I'm excited. I know last year, so my first turkey hunt was last year. Um, Brandon Jacobs was a co-worker at NRCS, and, you know, I worked directly with Zach Danks. I've met a lot of biologists in my time, and Brandon Jacobs used to work for the department, but I've never met another person who is as turkey crazy as this guy. I mean, drive off the road looking at turkeys in a field, kind of yeah. crazy. And yeah. uh, He took me last year, you know, he was we were in a blind watching this field, didn't have any action, and he couldn't help himself. He said, all right, I'm going to go check this other field. Oh, you got here. Oh, yeah. He went, he walked up, he called me, said, okay, there's a group of birds over here. We're going to have to 
we got to get after it. So, you know, ran down the hill, big ravine we couldn't cross, ran back up the hill, ran around the ravine, and finally we're crawling on our elbows and stuff through this cattle path that's <laughs> disgusting. And, you know, he's hitting the call. They didn't care at all. But, you know, finally they made their way over towards us. It just worked out that way because they were not responding. And I got my first shot, yeah. two-year-old bird. Nice. I'm, I'm hooked. I've been, <laughs> I've been thinking about it, it ever fun. since. So. And I, I do love that about turkey hunting, how they aren't – you know, you see them on TV, and a lot of times when you go out and, you know, it, it, a lot of times they are the same. But then you get those oddball ones like that where you got to go make a move, and I, I love it when it goes like that. Oh, yeah. it was. I think I feel like I got the full turkey experience oh, yeah. in one hunt. You know, we were sitting, <laughs> watching. We did have one hen come out, of course, you know. Yeah, you know, yeah every her, time. But, uh, spraying up, yeah. You can't. Yeah. So that was exciting. I'm the same can't way when I deer them. hunt. Even if I, <laughs> if I know I'm not going to shoot mm-hmm. a doe. And a doe comes out, and I have my gun. I start shaking so bad, you think yeah. I'm gonna come out of the tree. Mm-hmm. So that hen came out, and of course I was just, <laughs> <Yeah>. you <laughs> know. Tough. So it yeah. was exciting. I always love it when the hens come in with the with the gobblers. Like if you cut them off somewhere, if you're not calling the gobblers in, if you just happen to get lucky and you get in their path. Yeah. Hens always come through first, and their eyeballs are always looking. Oh yeah. <laughs> and I feel like I got to be so still, and I can never get my gun up into shooting position. So then it's always a you know, pull up and shoot quick. Type. But that's what I like about the turkey hunt is it's nice when you put your back against a tree and they sound off and they come in and it all goes perfectly to plan. But it's also really nice when, you know, you got to sneak around that fence row and belly crawl to get up on a high point so you can oh get a shot. Gosh, it was so exciting. I like, I like it when it goes like that too. Stealth mode. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, those are some of my favorites. Well, you guys got anything else? We've been going for a while now. Yeah. I'm uh, ready to think about I need to look at a map now all of a sudden. Oh, no, no. These are my maps. Sorry, non-disclosed. <laughs> it's a little late for me to ask for permission. So. Yeah. Well, I hope everybody gets one. Yeah, good luck. If y'all, I mean, like I said, I that I think brood, the weather tomorrow will be good. Sunday, Sunday's looking good. a little rainy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's tomorrow fine. should those, be nice. Do, you always got to look for the positive. Those it, fields get wet, worms will be up, turkeys will be out eating them. Yeah, yeah, and, would, I mean, in the morning, it looks like it's not, the rain wasn't going to start, I think, till like 12 or 1. So. Uh, tomorrow? Sunday. Or Sunday, yeah. yeah. That's what I think, too. Yeah, I wouldn't let the rain discourage you. Maybe thunderstorms, but a light rain. But a light rain. Oh, I'll take a light rain all day. They, I mean, you see turkeys out in the fields. Well, I mean, yeah, the, the saw guy, the key. Light, medium, heavy, you know, it got heavy at the end, but rain. I love, I've caught in the snow and in the rain, I've caught big fish often in rain. Yeah. I love it, light There's rain. Lee, Lee's keys to saw guy fishing. you yep. got to have light a good rain. hook and light rain. Yep. <laughs> That's what, uh, you know, different weather parameters, yeah, whatever. I've caught one of my biggest smallmouths ever in a snowstorm down on Del- or Cumberland. Yeah, All right. people, in December. People always told it, you know, don't, don't, you can't deer hunt when it's windy or when it's raining, but you can't kill anything if you're not there. So no don't, get, don't give up. You, you know, don't just, go just when it's perfect. You go when, when you can, yeah. you know. Real quick before we call it quits, uh, if anybody has questions about turkey season, uh, the guide's online, fw.ky.gov. It's right there on the homepage, uh, the info center. Make sure it, you have your tags and your license. You yeah. know, a lot yeah. of people forget that. That's the main thing, you know, and basically, if uh, under the age of 12 is is license exempt we get a lot of questions about the youth hunters and so under 12 is license exempt 12 to 15 youth license youth turkey permit and then 16 and over you just need a regular hunting license and regular permit and then people always ask well if my kid doesn't if they're 11 they don't have a a license how do they check it in and you just call or you go online and you check it the exact same way 
Mm-hmm. And there's the, one of the very first questions that ask you is, you know, are you checking this as a on a statewide license or a youth under the age of 12? And boom, right there. Cool. So, so that's probably the most common question that we get is mm-hmm. how does a youth check it? And then probably the most, talking to the conservation officers, the most common issue that they see in the field is unplugged shotguns. So you mm. want to make sure that your shotgun's only capable. That happens of, a lot of dove hunting too. Yeah. Three shells total. That's including one in the chamber. So yeah. you should be able to put two in the tube. Two in the chamber and one in the Yeah, uh, two two in the receiver. tube or, you know, however it stores shells and then one in the chamber and no more than that. And then um, baiting, of course, is the other thing that's big. And a lot of, you know, baiting's illegal for turkeys. And that includes anything that would draw them in, mm-hmm. you know, so... And baiting is actually just illegal right now. No corn or grain um, statewide for this window that we're in surrounding turkey season, right? Yeah. So so if you have any questions, just look at the guide. It's online or pick it up in stores or call 1-800-858-1549, right? We'll send you one. Yep. All yep. right. And then last, one more thing. Uh-oh. Also on the home page, if you are lucky enough to oh, yeah. shoot a banded bird, it's right there on the, the turkey It says report page, a band, band reporting. Mm-hmm. It's got a picture of a turkey with a band on its leg. We really, really need that data back. Um, report it, and then following the season, you could probably look forward to a phone call from me to ask you a couple questions. Yep. Good luck. Four tiles on the homepage. Two of them are the turkey guide and report a leg band. So yep. that's mm-hmm. what you need right there. Heck yeah. All right, guys. Well, I appreciate it. Mm-hmm.